Weddings, is this a wedding? <laughs> Marriage celebrant, I've got to ask you to turn your phones off. Isn't that right, at weddings? The long listener, you can't do a bloody thing. Turn your phone off. The other thing is, what's the other one? Don't. In fact, we'd said applications or something at one wedding, and some old bloke said, what about, what do you call those things? Heart. See you. See a religious religious does to your mind. <laughs> he was going to turn the bloody thing off because the priest said. And then we went to. And by the way, the couple has asked me to ask you to please do not put on social media any photographs of the wedding until they themselves have posted theirs. What the? See, next there'll be a threat of calling the police or something. See, we've lost our sense of humour, which is why we've called this meeting. How's that for an intro? All right. <laughs> Where's the couch? The couch. Your shorts all right, darling? Oh, God. Where's the back of the couch? <laughs> See, because I'm a cripple. Cripple. Not disabled, differently abled. Isn't it? Yeah, that's what I was told by that. I can't, these are not rightly angled. Oh, hang on, I'll twist, twist and shout. What happened to you? I just went to get your kitchen. Oh, is it time or what? Because we've got to follow the directions, all right? Otherwise, we've been here all day. We're not allowed to be here all day because we've only got one hour. All right, and we're going to have half an hour of Q&A. Is that all right? Yeah, half an hour of Q&A. Have we got microphones to hand to the comrades in the audience? Thank you, comrade. Um, welcome, everybody, to the Planet Talks. All right? And the organisers, thank you so much for what you did for me yesterday in preparation for this, because last night in Melbourne there was the most glorious sunset. Do you have it here? Sun go down here? Last night it was spectacular. And down she went. And then this morning on the way to uh, the aeroplane, you put on, a thank you to the organisers, magnificent full moon this morning. Right up. I said, what the... Because I've never seen two of them things happen in succession like that, and it's all due to... Well, Madeleine, organisers. Give them a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Today your panel will be talking about religion's role in the care for the environment. Um, our panellists are... Mohammed Abdallah, Director of the Centre for Islamic Thought and Education at the University of South Australia, one of Australia's most prominent and respected Australian Muslim leaders, combining the... Roles of an academic scholar, public intellectual, relig what the... It's enough, I think it's enough, isn't it? <laughs> rabbi Jonathan Keren Black has been a rabbi at the Leo Beck Centre in Melbourne since so three. Feels it's important to put prayer into practice. Strongly committed to environmental action. Co-founder of the Jewish Ecological Coalition, known as JECO. Is a board... etc. And, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Philippa Rowland, 
agricultural scientist from Adelaide, 11 years working in Canberra on pesticides. Is that what it says? Yeah, it says I was an agricultural scientist who worked in Canberra as a shiny bum for 11 years, and then I worked on community solutions to climate yes. change for 10 years. And, and community solutions to climate change. Lay Buddhist volunteer with Catholic Earth Care. Oh, have a look at this, see? Undercover, comrades, undercover. So, having introduced the panel, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask each one of you uh, about the Islamic, Jewish and Buddhist slash Catholic positions on stewardships for the planet and the environment. You want to do first? Only because I'd just like to do an acknowledgement of country and just oh, to yes, acknowledge yes, the yes, Ghana Should we stand community. Up or what? No, we can Thank sit. You. We can remain seated. Right. But just to acknowledge Ghana elders, past and present, that they never ceded rights and they've cared for this earth we walk on for many, many generations. And we honour all elders and first peoples that are here at this wonderful celebration of music, dance, arts, and how we can collectively work together to save the planet. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what do we yeah, we ask? We start with with uh, Muhammad. Well, thank you very much, uh, first and foremost, and I'm honoured to be here. Uh, what does religion have to do with this? What does God have to do with this? And from I'll speak from an Islamic perspective in this case. I'll try to be short. Uh, essentially, as human beings, we have an intrinsic relationship with this, with this planet. And this relationship is interconnected. Uh, it is impossible for us to live on this planet in a holistic and a sustainable way without an appreciation of every other creation that is on this planet. And as a Muslim, we believe that uh, this earth or this planet and the cosmos indeed has been created and that we also have been created and placed on this planet, not necessarily as an, a privilege, but rather in a position of responsibility. This position of responsibility is termed in Arabic as an amana. It's a trust. So the water that we have and the trees that we have and the animals that we have and the air that we breathe and every other natural resource that we have is, has not been given to us because we deserve it necessarily, but rather to look after it. It is a trust, it's an amana, for which not only are we accountable for in this life, but also we will be taken to task for in the next life if we misuse, abuse, and fail to look after this trust. And I want to say at this stage that it is issues like this i.e., or that is looking after our common home uh, that can beautifully unite us and bring us together despite perhaps the theological and perhaps ideological differences. And I want to uh, say that I was very much inspired by the Pope's uh, encyclical uh, decree on environment, which to me reflected three fundamental principles 
that are consistent with the Islamic narrative. One, the issue of justice, that we cannot really resolve or begin to move forward sustainably in resolving the damage that we have inflicted on Mother Nature, on this or our common home, without truly addressing the issue of justice. Uh, and that entails, all, entails looking after the poorest and the most, or the people who are most in need on this planet, who often contribute the least to the uh, environmental damage, but end up paying the heaviest price. And so we, by necessity, we must look at the, or must frame the discussion in terms of justice. Secondly, I think what religion teaches us, in this case, from an Islamic perspective, is, uh, which, 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 is, which was highlighted by the Pope, is the idea of existential rights. That not only we as humans have rights to inhibit and live on this planet, but also the animals and the trees and the plants. And, and the bats. And, bats. and the bats. <laughs> they, the bats. We have an, a ver an intrinsic interconnected relationship with every, every organ organism or every creation on this earth. And unless and until we respect that and give each their due right, we will continue on the path of uh, uh, not only damaging but destroying uh, our common home. And thirdly, what religion teaches me is that, that this common home that we have, this earth and everything that is in it, has a mystical meaning. Again, this is something that the Pope raised, which incidentally he borrowed from a ninth century Sufi or mystical Muslim scholar who termed or he ad advocated the idea that the world that we live in has a mystical meaning. The trees, though we don't hear it, but they also sing and praise the glory of God. And so do the animals. And if we recognize that, then we are all one in this, and religion can hopefully invigorate and bring to life some of these beautiful principles that can allow us to live harmoniously and sustainably on this planet. Thank, Thank you. Okay, give him a round. <laughs> now, I'm supposed to mention the Pope, not you. See what I mean? Now he's turned the Pope, he learned his, his, his ideas from the Muslims. That'll go over well. <laughs> joke, it's a joke, it's called banter. <laughs> All right? It's, not a, it's offensive, but it's meant to be, you know what I mean? Endearing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Rabbi Jonathan, are you going to sum up your thank you? Thank you very much. First of all, I'd like to thank everybody for coming, and I think it's fantastic that you have come to hear a faith perspective, because I think today in the modern world, we don't hear enough of faith perspectives. I think we haven't done ourselves any favors because we've painted these ideas like uh, creation of the world in six days, or God as an old man on a cloud, and um, we know that these are not meant to be taken literally, um, but we don't say that often enough. So um, I want to refer first to creation and to take it as a legend, as a, a way of understanding the world around us for our ancestors thousands of years ago. And when I say that, of course, we might be talking about three or 4,000 years ago, um, but we should bear in mind the welcome that Philippa mentioned, the, the acknowledgement of country, 
because just this last week we've heard of the DNA evidence of the indigenous peoples of this land being here 60,000 years and more. So it, it sort of pales into, uh, our, our own traditions pale into significance in terms of age. But uh, anyway, we're talking about, in the Jewish tradition, about 3,000 to 4,000 years. And um, of course, in the creation story, um, it sets up human beings as caretakers of God's world. And that's our task, to look after God's world and, uh, and all the plants and creatures and, and people in it, um, and to make sure that it is passed on in good condition to those who come after us. And that's all the way through in all of our teachings, in all of the years and generations, um, expressed in the ways that the people of those times understood it. And it's common to all the traditions I've experienced, not only Jewish. And today we have a name for that, and it's sustainability. So a lot of these concepts, which are so important to us today, we find over and over again in our traditions. I'm very uh, moved by a story from 1,400 years ago in the Jewish tradition where it says, God took Adam, and there it means all humanity really, God took Adam to show him the trees and the beauty of the Garden of Eden. And God said, take care, because if you destroy this, there will be nobody after you to make it whole again. And I think that's the key message, and that's why it's so important that we're here, that the world is slowly and, and belatedly waking up to the importance of uh, us uh, bringing our faith traditions to the top of our responsibilities and awareness of looking after our environment. Now, I want to tell you that faith tradition, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the introduction said that I believe in putting prayer into practice. I don't think there's a distinction, really. I don't think there's any point in sitting on your bum and just saying the words. You have to actually do it. And I don't think there's a distinction between religion and politics. There never used to be. You know, our, our guide as to what to do to make the world better, to look after it, is in our traditions. And we each have different approaches, but they all tell us to take care of God's creation and each other um, and to look after the world for the sake of the future. So Beautiful. I'm going to stop at that point, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Cobrae. No. Have another go. You can have another go. All those in favour, give her another go. Thank you. I'll have a quick go just because to explain. Because the vocabulary I find as a layperson <laughs> that in fact the vocabulary leaves me a bit, you know what I mean? Well, the... the Sustainability and all that stuff. See? Because we ran a foundation that looks after the poor, right? You got a thousand, well, a hundred people last night in a place in, in St Kilda, and we take vans and feed people because we put out tables and. See, that's to me. And then somebody says, oh, the foundation does marvellous work. Uh, but are you sustainable? And I said, what the. In other words, have you got. $3 million, so that the thing you're doing, the good thing, will go on forever. And I'm saying, well, we've lived from ad to mouth, for God's sake, for 40 years. Um, but now I realise that the, that the vocabulary has changed 
and you've got to talk about um, about things like sustainability as a concept and almost as a dogma, you know. So um, anyway, be that as it may, you're going to make sense out of it. Father Bob, I think that's, you know, these abilities like sustainability yeah. and responsibility. I heard somebody once turn responsibility around beautifully, which is the ability to respond. And I think whatever faith hat I wear, the main reason I'm sitting here is that I'm a human alive on this earth today and I've realised the fact that we need to face reality, we need to look after each other and we need to look after the earth and all the other speech creatures that live with us. For me, it's really the first time in my life that I've kind of been outed as a lay Buddhist working for Catholic Earth Care. I volunteer also with the Multi-Faith Association of South Australia and with the Conservation Council. With the Multi-Faith Association, we had a major meeting in November 2015, just before the Paris Agreement, just before Laudato Si, in fact, also, called Humanity at the Crossroads, an appeal for spiritual leadership on climate change which had been begun by one of our members who's a doctor for the environment who'd been worried about climate. And so that group had met every month as a multi-faith group for over a year and became comfortable that along with having a multi-faith discussion about where were the commonalities, the difference, the richness in our traditions, where was the common ground? And I heard that echoed by Archie Roach, Uncle Archie, yesterday when he called for us to find the common ground for the sake of the children. And that, for me, is really the challenge before us, is to find that place where we can each stand as individuals, take heart from whatever it is that gives us heart and courage to go forward, and then collectively to help each other move as fast and as practically and sustainably as we can to help the world turn the corner. Because what gives me hope is that I feel we are turning. We have begun to turn. There's there's an amazing amount of good news out there, as well as all the bad news that keeps getting caught in the political spin. So I think if that we get this momentum moving, where you've got a quite unusual thing happening, which is faith groups beginning to speak out in the public domain about their concern for the environment and for future generations. And if there's a ripple going around the world that can have a beneficial effect, I think that's enormously helpful. Um, in New York, there was a statement that was interfaith that went to encourage all countries to sign, ratify and implement the Paris Agreement. That was great. There was an even more remarkable one that had 304 faith leaders from 58 countries that none of you heard about because we actually handed over this major statement in Marrakesh in Morocco on the 10th of November, which was the day after the US election, so we were effectively oh. trumped. But the thing that was really, and that's the last I'll say on that matter altogether, the reason it was significant is it wasn't just a motherhood statement. That was a statement that these senior faith leaders, and I'm talking Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, in Australia it was 36 faith leaders, the president of the Imams Council, the Federation of Buddhist Councils, the Hindu Council, the Australian, um, Australian Council of Churches, so, Lutherans, you name it, and Rabbi, yeah. But it was calling for action both within faith groups and governments and in people's individual hearts for how we can use our deliberate choices to move away from reliance on fossil fuels, to invest in renewables and support for the poor and the vulnerable. 
So for me, that's some of the common ground. Q and A in a minute. Bloke told me another word, street person. I learn all my stuff off the street. Um, I go to church. I find churches are not of much earthly use. Otherworldly use, nice. My mother taught me that. But I mean earthly use. See, how are we going to get this? You know what I mean? We're all in this together, as my friend Ben Lee says, isn't it? Can we have one verse of that? I woke up this morning. What's the other? We're all in this together. But one street bloke said to me, we said, how are you going for accommodation? He said, look, the best mate you can do for yourself is five-star accommodation. He said, I've got a million-star accommodation. Now, how's that for an insight? Isn't it? See, positive spin. And the other thing is the blokes who were the astronauts, didn't they have that glorious photograph they sent back to Earth, didn't they? And they said, have a look at this. See that little blue dot? See, we're all in this together. Everybody focuses on that little blue dot, which is our lovely... Thank you. And can I just pick up on what you said, Father Bob, about the uselessness of uh, religious institutions? I think I heard. Um, and I want to challenge... <laughs> I want to challenge that because I think that um, they don't have to be useless. They need to be a basis for action and education and uh, involvement. And um, so from, with my um, Australian religious response to climate change hat on, I just want to hold up and introduce um, climate change action kits, which are available free online. Um, to anybody who's interested, just look up arrrc.org.au and you can download one. These are very well-filled kits um, with all sorts of um, guides as to how to get a group working in your place of worship, um, both to educate the individuals about the significant issues that are going on and the opportunities, but also how to um, get your church or place of worship to respond um, Solar panels, water tanks, uh, low energy bulbs. There are so many things that can be done which are really beginning to make a difference. And so I just want to advertise these. And if anybody wants to take yeah. one away, I've got them here. I also want there. to. Yeah. I also want to say um, one thing about more about the Bible or our traditions. The tenth commandment. Careful. careful. Anybody. <laughs> the tenth commandments, the one that nobody really knows what it means, is "Thou shalt not covet." And I think this is really important for us today, in a sense, one of the most important of the commandments, because covetousness is wanting something that other people have got. And I think this is the anti-materialism, the anti-advertising commandment, which is so important to us today to train, to train ourselves and our kids that we don't need a new iPhone just because a new model's come out, to be aware of the waste and the growing inequalities that this sort of, uh, this sort of living develops and generates, which we've got to stand up from our churches and our synagogues and our mosques and all of our places of worship and say, this is not the way that God wants us to live. This is not the way to make a fairer, better world. It's really important that we take away that message because there is hope. There are exciting things going on. If you saw the news this morning, Elon Musk, uh, an Israeli American, by the way, who has uh, Tesla, who is uh, discussing with Malcolm Turnbull. Malcolm Turnbull at the moment, and uh, and just um, whilst I'm going, Philip has put these repower Port Augusta. You here in South Australia have the best opportunity to start the 10-year transition to renewable power when you repower Port Augusta. If we just keep putting the pressure on for the first 
um, condensed solar power generation. This is a religious task, a religious obligation, because we have an ethical duty to make this world better and safer for future generations. <laughs> Q&A, how are we going for time? Where's that organising woman? Thank you were you. there. Are we going all right? Have we done 30 minutes or what have we done? <coughs> There's a clock there. I'll Is there a clock? Before we get closed off, I'm happy to move to questions, but just to follow on um, from, from Jonathan's comment, we have choices before us, but if we don't get active in helping to make those decisions, the choices get made for us. So there's an enormous amount of things we can do as individuals. There's a hell of a lot more, we, forgive me, hell of a lot more we can do as communities, whether they be geographic communities, faith communities, or of interest groups. But if we ignore the political, then it's like a game of snake and ladders where you suddenly sit the snake and you end up going backwards quite quickly. So we've never been closer to achieving concentrated solar thermal in Port Augusta than we've been yet. If we'd done it two years ago, it would have been a fabulous example of mapping across from coal thermal to solar thermal. It's a job-rich way forward which would have given those coal station workers an opportunity to run a solar thermal power plant. Had great benefits for the community of Port Augusta that have suffered from the dust from the coal-fired burning. And actually grounded a new transition pathway for a manufacturing. There's a brilliant example in South Australia of Heliostat SA. It used to be a car manufacturer of parts. And they're now making heliostats, those bits that concentrate the sun into the molten salt. And that's a great example of a positive way forward. The bits of paper that were on your uh, seat had on them the fact that South Australia's got a really a choice ahead of it about how we power our electricity. And that vote that is on the back of that poster of the picture of Port Augusta just makes it a very straightforward one between coal and solar. And probably the reason for crunching that back is that there is a push for unconventional gas, which in the driest state and the driest continent is potentially highly risky in terms of damaging aquifers and future water that other generations are going to need. And as you may know, there's a pipeline being driven up through Northern Territory to move gas and ship it out. If we could seize the moment and turn it around, what a gift South Australia and Australia could be to the world in terms of harnessing our renewable energy and piping it across the sea to Southeast Asia. Then we would really be uh, you know, forging a way forward. Multi-faith association, I saw Gunhild in the audience, we're also really willing and able to work as Catholic Earth Care is in the Catholic space with groups who want to host a small workshop which is called Words to Action. In other words, getting a small group together, looking at in your own space and your own community, what are the chief steps that you could take using the art kits, using other materials, start out actually populating the map of Australia with positive examples so we can all get going. Q&A. See? He's walked out, the other one fell off the chair. See, I'm used to watching that. Hello, fell off the chair. Uh, Q&A, there's your microphone. Do not be afraid, little ones. Thank you. Um, look, my, my question really is regarding all, all the things you've been saying, but to me there's just there's a, a disconnect happening in Australia at the moment, and the disconnect is the rhetoric that we're getting from uh, people like Malcolm Turnbull, and um, whereby... Uh, and, and the coal industry, and that... Basically, they seem to be ignoring 
climate science and what the community wants in terms of change in renewables. Um, how do you see your organisations addressing this? And not, not only how, but can you make stronger statements, you know, and really come out and discredit the lies? It's not, it's not just, I mean, it's, it's what people like Malcolm Turnbull are doing now, they're selling out our future generations. They should be held to account um, as soon as possible. Thank you. Hello. Well, can, away you go. can I respond to that one straight away to say that we, had a, we have an annual civic service at my congregation. It was last Saturday. And we had our local MP sitting in the front. And I took the opportunity, since it was the sixth anniversary of Fukushima, to, to talk about the importance of renewables and to say, don't bother to talk about nuclear, because I'm sure that the nuclear industry and the uranium industry are ready to jump on it. And there's a three-word answer to that. It's Fukushima, Fukushima, Fukushima. Um, and, uh, and I told, uh, you know, afterwards I spoke to him, and I said to him, I, I trust you agree with what I said. And he said, well, actually, no, because we've got to have, um, we've got to have baseload power. So I said, baseload power is a completely baseless argument. It's no longer relevant. Why do you think that you can get cheap energy every night? It's because we're producing all this power that we don't need because of these old fossils of, of generation, of fossil fuels. And uh, he said, well, that's what my advisors tell me. And I said to him, well, you need new advisors. Uh, and Josh, Josh Frydenberg happens to be um, the adjacent MP. I speak to Josh fairly frequently, and I write to him more frequently. And um, we actually have a petition at the moment to him. You know, Josh Frydenberg, in my opinion, and I've spoken to Greg Hunt about this as well, Josh Frydenberg, Greg, Greg Hunt understand the science. They believe, they know the science and the scientists. But they are struggling within, I'm not making an apology for them, but I think my perception is they're struggling within the, the liberal national environment at the moment. And, you know, um, Josh Frydenberg said a few weeks ago, you'll remember, he came out and said, we are going to need a climate cap, a charge, a carbon, carbon cap of some sort. And he was put down immediately, not by his leader, but by Barnaby Joyce, and the next day by Malcolm Turnbull. And he had to, you know, eat his words and say he didn't say that. Um, but he understands the truth. But then the other day on the television, you saw him talking about baseload power. I was shouting at the screen to him, you know, you know this isn't true, Josh. You can't say this. You're, you're misleading people. You're obfuscating the issue because of the pressure groups and the media. And, uh, and it's not acceptable. So we now have a petition to him, which we'll be putting shortly. So, you know, we do need to take these actions and take them into our own hands because otherwise we're going to lose it. Clock, so there. 30 minutes we've got. Shorter, sharper answers we want. Yeah. Well, and shorter, sharper answers you from you lot too. Because yeah. there's young people present. We don't want to offend their ears. Thank you very much. They, they text. So all we need is texted questions. All right, short, sharp, and to the point. Yeah, thank you for that. I think whilst it's, it's important to engage with government, uh, however, uh, without raising sufficient awareness within our own communities, then we will fall short. And this is where I would say the role of religion comes in. Religion is a double-edged sword. It can be utilized to manipulate people either in this way or that way. And unfortunately, in many instances, it has been used to manipulate people for things that are destructive and violent. But the point that needs to be recognized is that religion and people of religious authority do have an impact on their congregations. 
if we can tap into these congregations and if we can raise awareness, if we can utilize religion as a tool to enhance people's awareness about the, what is happening to our planet and also to engage them, then you would have a broader base which we can utilize to influence our government and our policies. But when they see that people are not engaged, individuals are not engaged, because let's face it, we are all in a comfort zone in Australia. We are not facing what so many other people are facing in the rest of the world. And most people, excuse me for saying this, don't give a damn about the environment because they are living comfortable lives. That's one. Secondly, religion can play a substantial role in addressing the more deeper issues. So we see that the environmental crisis is a symptom of a deeper spiritual crisis, consumerism, extravagance. These are, is, these are very, very important factors that need to be considered. People in Africa who are today dying because of starvation, they don't think about consumerism and extravagance. We are the consumerists, we are the extravagant, and we are leading, we are, we are adding to the problem. So we need to go through a sense of a renewal within our own selves and our own communities, and this is where I personally feel religion can play a powerful role. Thank you. And we are the ones we've been waiting for. What do you think of that for a commo statement? We are the ones we've been waiting for. Nobody else is going to do it except um. you and me. And, in case I dropped it at 82 and a half, our young people, yes, are our most valuable natural resource. It's all right talking coal and water and all the rest of it, but we are ignoring our most valuable natural resource, which is the younger generation. You see? So be sustainable towards them and find out while they're yelling and screaming, taking their own lives, overdosing on ice and all the rest of it, which the older generation explains it, they're just indisciplined. The answer is they're bored shitless, which is not, you know what I mean, a natural resource. Well, it is, for God's sake. Uh, yes, thank you. You're going to talk. Where's that microphone, darling? Now, that man down there says he's going to talk. That woman over there says she's going to talk, for God's sake. We've got um, an outbreak of something. Just, just from um, what an individual can, um, can implement in their life, uh, because for me, I'm not super politically involved. Um, within religious groups, is there education and awareness about the impact of animal farming on the environment and um, the benefits of a plant-based diet to contributing to uh, sustainability. Thank you. See how short and sharp that is, for God's sake. Beautiful. I'll, I'll pick that up um, both as an ag scientist but also from Laudato Si. So that issue in terms of our habits in producing food and reliance on animals means that we're eating very high on the food chain. So it, it takes a lot more land if we all end up remaining heavy meat eaters. So there's great benefit both in terms of emissions and in terms of sharing food around the globe to eat lower on the food chain, which is why you've had an increase in vegetarianism a couple of days a week. In Laudato Si, one of the things that makes it a really worthwhile document to read is that it's a very holistic document. It's actually very confronting because it looks at human impacts over the years in every compartment of life. 
So not only greed and impact on refugees and uh, consumption, but into chemicals, pollution, radioactivity and so forth. So when you sit and you read it and you come back round again to say, well, we are part of all of this. We've got a causative role, but the benefit is then we're in the box seat to do something about fixing it. So I think you'll find that faith groups also look at supporting individuals to have the courage to find ways they can move forward in their lives and be supported in that journey. So we have to be conservative in our questions and answers. You yell. Get so she wants a microphone. Where no, is that man? I have an answer oh, to that what one. Did, what happened? Um, from the Jewish point of view, of course, you understand kosher is generally... Kosher means fit for purpose, but in terms of food, it means eating food which Jews are allowed to eat. And we have a whole new generation of uh, understanding kosher, which is called eth ethical kosher. Yeah, and um, that means not eating, being aware of, the, of what your food's been through before it gets to you. Um, and that uh, will take into account the way that animals have been raised, whether we should be killing animals at all, um, and also the amount of food miles um, it takes the amount of energy embodied in your food by the time you get to it. So um, I'm vegetarian. A um, uh, hundred years ago, the chief rabbi of, uh, of Jerusalem, Rav Cook, um, expounded vegetarianism as the way to live ethically. And um, so definitely, yes, the answer is yes, we should be reducing our meat consumption. And the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change runs a campaign called Eat Less Meat. What about your meat pie, mate? No more meat pies? The Aussie icon? No more nuggets? From Maccas? Veggie nuggets now we've got, for God's sake. Uh, where's that? You, did you get your... Come on, you've been yelling and screaming for that microphone. Give her a microphone. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's obvious that all of the major uh, religions hold environmental values at their core. And it's fantastic to hear about all of the grassroots activity that you're doing, but it doesn't really cut it because without the uh, policy level and the regulatory and the legislative level of activity, it doesn't matter how many trees you plant, we're not going anywhere. And I think it's, I believe that it's incumbent upon the peak religious authorities in this country to act more politically and use their power. And with the greatest of respect, we're not looking at here at the peak religious bodies. We're looking at inspired individuals from a number of faiths. But the peak religious bodies are missing in action from this, from this discussion. And uh, I wonder what uh, each of the panellists uh, intend to do about carrying a message for greater political action back to their own peak bodies. I don't speak I'll on behalf of the that Catholic... One, if, you don't, if that's OK, I'll be brief. But what I'm planning to do, because I was responsible for coordinating, rounding up the interfaith statement that went to New York and to Marrakesh, so what's on my plate is personally getting back to each of those faith leaders by phone and in person, trying to get a commitment from each and every one of them to join a shared journey on action on climate. They may be in different places and at different levels of being able to start running with it. But I think if there's a commitment to share the journey and to share what the learnings are on the way and on the platform of actions to pick up, there are both looking at what can be done within that faith space itself so that they're practicing what they preach, but also if they will speak out again about domestic politics, you'll find people of cloth like 
Rabbi Jonathan have actually been involved in non-direct direct nonviolent action. But there's also, I think, an opportunity for building the interfaith dialogue and connection between the faiths so that there can be an encouragement, a sharing of ideas about getting synagogues and temples into solar so that when people then take that step of becoming political, they can say that they are doing something. And the sleeper in it, which can be scary at the outset, is actually looking where each faith group has money invested and being serious about the responsibility we have for the choices we make of where our money, the energy of that money is. And our energy choices are moral choices, both for how we source our electricity, but also what we do with our funds and our money. So in a scenario in Australia where you've got Malcolm Turbull offering a billion dollar concessional loan to build a railway line to export coal. What happened? It's, that money could be, could be respent. <laughs> Imagine what we could do with that money if it was redeployed for your, you know, good, good works and for moving forward and turning the corner. Yes. So I think people won't jump in and all start galloping, but I think where you can take heart is that things are shifting. Because 10 years ago, faith leaders wouldn't have signed a statement that went to the UN that spoke about divestment, reinvestment in renewables and support for the poor and the vulnerable. So the change is happening. All right, that thing there that says 9 15, 17, Minister 2. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Did you, are you sweet with that? Or you want a more to talk? Right. I, I was going to say, I, didn't have a, I don't have the authority to speak on behalf of the Catholics, but I think you probably can call Nobody the... Nobody I think you probably can call the Pope a peak religious body. Well, he was. And, uh, and it's really significant that he spoke, and we then saw um, major statements from... We don't all have the same structure of a spokesperson for the whole religion or movement or, or, or branch, but we did see major statements from the Muslims and in Turkey, was it? And also from the Jewish community in America. And, uh, you know, I'm doing what I can within my movement, but uh, I can't, I can't, we wouldn't even have one chief rabbi. We have to have two chief rabbis of Israel, you know, because we're Jews and it's two Jews, three opinions. <laughs> but we're trying. The joke, so give him a round of applause for God's sake. <laughs> Stand up comedians. What about the secular humanists? Any of you down there? Yep. So, so uh, a, uh, probably a, a, a failed uniting church person, but who's never really let go of God. Um, and so for, for me, uh, the, uh, the wild bush in Australia, the wilderness and all those sort of things always reminds me, St Paul said that even if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll find God through nature. And I've, I'm, I'm interested in the debate about energy, I'm an engineer, all those sort of things. I think it's very secondary in a way to what I've always thought that, that faith does to people. And to me, it motivates them and gives them meaning to do these things. Uh, and to me, environmentalism is, a, uh, is about seeing, seeing God or seeing uh, you know, serenity and power in nature. So... And that compassion to me flows on. You care about, you care about uh, small animals. You, you should care about people too. So, to me, the thing that interests me most about this panel is beyond whether we're going to have solar, whether we're not going to have solar. That battle will go on. I'm interested in how the different faiths 
can motivate or encourage people to touch that compassionate side of themselves, which to me is the, that, that's the root of environmentalism and caring about this stuff. So I'm interested in your opinions on that. All the best. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, but you're asking the impossible, comrade. Because the religions, as you see, it, we agreed before in the car, no, not in the car, in the tea room, I said to, to, I said to Muhammad, I said, oh, my opinion is now that you've got to park all the religions in the machine shop and get them tuned up because the things are out of whack. You see, and it's sad, it's sad because I'm a religionist but I'm a spiritualist first. And I think that's, thank God we're here because we're, have a look around you for God's sake. You don't need to, we can shut our mouths now for the next 20 minutes. If you had a look at what's around here, you should almost faint from excitement. Just have a look. Beautiful around here. See, I'm concerned that in fact, that, um, that in fact, Right now, the Aussies need something because otherwise we're going to get swept away by whatever, you know, you know, fear of China or fear of God knows what else, fear of anything, you know, because we love being afraid, the Aussies. You see, and the thing is time, instead of having a, a scared Australia, we should have a sacred Australia, one thing or the other. You see what I mean? And the secular humanists have got an enormous part to play in that. And they can keep tweaking us and making us, because we've got the, 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 the history and the tradition that goes back to your burning bush, haven't you, in the, in the desert, in, in, the, in the desert. Um, it goes back and it goes back to Muhammad's uh, desert. He started in the desert too, didn't he? And we're in the desert here in Australia, you know what I mean, from the point of view of religion, it's time to start something. And that's why we've called this meeting. You see? Because it's all very good talking, you know. I was hungry and you formed a subcommittee. You know? I was naked and you had a walkathon. You know what I mean? And I was in prison and you what? Marnus and the other joint. And you kept discussing about where you're going to send me. Huh? See, we've lost, the, we've lost the plot. We have to become a human first and then God can look after himself. You see, that's the aim of creation. Here, I'll give you the lot. He said, I'm off. And then he comes back and says, hey, by the way, I'd like to join up. You see? And that's the stage that we're at now. Secular and, 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 and religious, in, 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 what do you call it? In, in together. You said, thank you. Yeah. Look, thank you very much for that. I think that's an excellent question. I think the environmental crisis that is facing humanity is is not related to a religion or whether you have religion or you have no religion, whether you believe or you don't believe. We're all in it together, right? And I think what, given that the focus of this forum is religion, religion can be an added value. You don't have to believe in order to feel compassion. In fact, sometimes uh, I I the statistics show most of the philanthropists in the world are atheists. Right, so, but what you've raised is exceptionally important, and that is how can we tap into that compassion in the lives of people? How can we 
make people feel more compassionate, more understanding towards the environment, towards the suffering, not only of the environment, but people who are living on this planet. And in this case, I would say religion can play a substantial role. We can stuff it up also, but it can play a substantial role. For instance, all of our religious traditions speak about the idea of justice and equilibrium. And the imbalance that we have created as human beings on this earth has led us to where we are. Now, this imbalance is not only in terms of our relationship with the, the, the plants or the animals, but also our relationship with humans. And as individual human beings, whether we follow a religion or not, we're all individually responsible. And we're, we have all been sucked into this capitalism, consumerism, whether you follow a religion or not. I see it in my mosque. When I stand to give a sermon to a thousand people in the mosque, most people are oblivious to the problems of the environmental crisis. Therefore, it's my moral and ethical duty to be able to instill in their hearts and minds the aw awareness towards, towards the, the environmental concern. And this, doesn't, need, this is, doesn't have to be affiliated to a religion. It has to be affiliated to our deep-seated humanity that must immediately address this issue in a way, in a framework that is not only economic, but we have to look at it from a social justice perspective and look after not only we're concerned about the environment because we're in Australia and we, we worried about our comfort zone, but we need to worry about people who are starving because of our own actions in Australia, right? So that's what we need to start worrying about. So I think that... Um, that there are various religious teachings that we have which we conveniently forget or, or ignore. And one of the ones we have is the idea of a, that the land is not to be owned. God owns the land or nature owns the land in, in, the, in the same sort of way as the indigenous people. Uh, we belong to the land and not vice versa. But one of the ways this is shown within the Jewish tradition is the idea of um, the Jubilee year. In the every 50th year, the land returns to its original custodians. So you can buy and sell it but you don't get it in perpetuity. So it's like pressing the reset button every 50 years to return to uh, an e equality and start again. Now, we haven't probably never done that. It's a concept, but it's an important concept about equality. There is such rife inequality. And one of the problems, I think, in terms of compassion is that we don't tend to think outside of our own circle. And uh, we think about Australia, Australians tend to think about Australians first. And I found out from uh, one of our indigenous speakers at a, a conference um, a couple of years ago, and we talk about the Pacific Islands and the rising sea levels and the way that that's being affected. Um, d if we said Australian territory is being affected, Australians are being affected, I think it would have more impact. And I found that the Torres Strait Islands are already suffering. They have airstrips in some of their islands that they can't use at high tide anymore because they're covered with water. And now, believe me, they wouldn't have built those airstrips there if they were covered with water when they built them. So that just demonstrates that even in Australia, it's happening already. Where is our compassion to look after people who have less than we do and who are suffering because of our over-exploitation of our world. It's time now to change urgently. Yes. We need to go away from here today and change what we're doing and change our care for other people and encourage others to do the same.
Oh, that man. That? I'll be very brief, so to allow more questions. Uh, nine minutes we got. Just, um, I think from a Buddhist perspective, uh, I wake up every morning with a prayer on my lips, which is, may all living beings be free from pain and suffering. So that's a compassionate approach to life. That leads me to enlightened self-interest when you take on board both out of the Pope's encyclical, uh, integral ecology, that we are all interconnected with things, which is interbeing. So what we do to the world, we do to ourselves. Beautiful, thank you. The microphone, so look at the... Wait, 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 wait. It's over here at the moment. Thank you, thank you. Hello. <laughs> this way. Let's see, where is he? Oh, there he is over there, Hello. thank you. Um, so we've heard um, quite a bit this morning about um, the... Obviously, the leadership that you guys are showing within your own congregations, communities, um, whatever that is in terms of your religious denomination. Um, but I'm probably what I'm really interested to know is, oh, you guys have been saying this morning how you know you're showing leadership because of the blatantly obvious state of the way things are going in terms of the sustainability of our planet. Um, but I'm wondering whether or not, from your congregation's point of view or from your um, community's point of view, whether or not some of that leadership has been borne by a groundswell of opinion from your own communities. Just say background. Uh, oh, was there a bit of... Of your own community. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. A groundswell in the community. Thank you. It's hard down our way because you've got developers all over the place. In my place, Fisherman's Bend, they pulled all the um, factories down when we were a hundred, no, only 50, 60 years ago, they devastated South Melbourne by pulling all the bloody factories down and building public housing and then flogging them 40 years later because nobody goes to work. How the hell can you go to work if you pull all the bloody factories down? <laughs> and they're going to do it again. They're going to cover the place already. They've covered the place with high-rise towers for the rich to live in and students from Asia to live in on their own, you know. And the rest of the place, you see, nobody said, where's the infrastructure first? Where's the sustainability? Otherwise, you're going to have heaps of people, but you're going to have no humanity, which is the sustainable uh, matrix. Yes, what am I doing here? You're answering that question. So I, w I would say um, it's a very astute question, and um, one of our traditions, one of our teachers says, if you pull too hard from the community, you break the elastic. Um, so, you know, you push it as hard as you can. One of my Christian colleagues last week said to me, if she, or said to a group, if she says one more thing in her congregation about environmentalism, they're going to throw her out. <laughs> and, and, and I feel somewhat the same. There's a limit to how many times you can say the same thing. But having said that, I've been driving, I've been in Australia for uh, 14 years, and we've always had hybrids. Um, and, and I just want to add a note there. I don't necessarily mean new. I don't. I've never bought a new hybrid. People aren't aware that a hybrid saves 30% of the energy, and you can buy one for five or eight thousand dollars if you're going to be a second-hand car upwards. So people need to be aware of that. They can actually practically go and do something themselves. But the reason I say this is because a few years ago, or from time to time, people come to me and they say, "Rabbi, do you know what I've got in the car park?" And uh, the other. Uh, the other day, um, there was a photo I took in the car park because there were only three cars left and they were all hybrids. Um, and having said that, um, I, and I should say, 
we don't expect people to actually reduce their standard of living because that's never going to get much traction. I think if we said, let's look, we are very comfortable, let's stop improving our standard of living so that we can help to improve other people's standard of living, that would be a big step forward. I, I want to tell you that I have a, now got a second-hand plug-in hybrid, which Three is really an electric car. And, and the congregation knows about that. And I think look. that you know, there are things we can do. We should be setting right. the example. One more question. That man wants to... Well, two arms. You'll have to have two arms. Yell out. You don't need a microphone. I've got the... Oh. Go on. Two minutes. One minute. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Is Alf Garnett the old, anybody old there? Alf Garnett, the old comedian? He used to refer to this effluent society. Rude man. Affluent oh. society, comrade, not effluent. Hello. Right, thank you. Oh, no, we're almost out of time. I'm just, as a recovered Catholic, I'm, I get a little concerned when I hear about you talking about religion becoming more involved in politics, when mostly what we hear from religious people in politics is fear around boats coming because they're Muslim, fear around equal marriage. And so I feel that re I'm a, being against religion in politics because it seems to push hate and it seems to push exclusion. How will you have religion be a positive force in pos politics? Okay. Well, the thing is, the main aim, all those in favour of occupying religion. See what I mean? It's all very good whinging and moaning about the religions. But you see, I mean, you'll have to make up your, your secular minds. And what we have to do, what I think with the Roman Catholics anyway, because of their d disastrous performance before the Royal Commission, is in fact that the lay people have to occupy Catholicism. Take the thing over. Make it work. They're all beautiful religions, you see, but they've got to, they've, they've got to, they've got to be made work. Now, we're going to go because it's one minute to two. So a brief, a brief response is that I think we need to get beyond fear politics, and that means facing reality. So I gathered that between 26 and 27 million people were displaced last year by climate-related uh, events, you know, disasters, floods, whatever. There are great opportunities, though, for making a commitment to interfaith harmony and tackling the root cause of some of that peddling of fear. So I think it, it behoves religions that are going to become active to be working in their own patch to clean up our own acts and then look at how we, practising what we preach, encourage others to follow a real pathway of action. You're going to throw us out. So <laughs> Thank you to Woman Laid. So I, I'm going to say that there You'll are... You'll have to be quick because are, she's going to throw us out, that right, woman. There are, there are religious responses which are stuck in their time of origin and there are... And the religion, if you look at religions, they all develop and change and we need to be presenting a progressive response to our religious message, which it seems to me that all of us here today Thank have you. been. Thank you to Womadelaide. Womadelaide is a work of art and you are artists at work, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to Philippa, thank you to Rabbi Jonathan and thank you to Professor Muhammad. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.